go to uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 15. We've been looking at some of the teaching in the Bible in relationship to the New Testament church. And uh, we just got through with some lessons on authority. And in those lessons, we touched on the aspect of discipline, church discipline in, uh, in the New Testament to show that the church has authority. And uh, I'm sorry, I think it's Matthew 18 instead of 15. Matthew 18, 15 instead of Matthew 15, 18. In Matthew 18 and 15, moreover that brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother, but if he will hear thee, he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church, but if you neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a, uh, unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so we found that the final say in, in matters that affected the church as far as its unity and tranquility between two members, that if, uh, if everything preceding that that we find in this passage, that the final say is the church, and when the church makes a statement, it will be uh, dealt with, and, and it'll be the final statement. There'll be no more um, debate about it. So we're going to talk about what the Bible has to say about discipline. But but the discipline comes from the word disciple, and and uh, church discipline actually is a part of discipleship. But but primarily, there's uh, when when a person is saved and we begin to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I command you, it it comes in three factions. All. This, this thing about discipleship or this thing about discipline, keep it in the mind of being a disciple. It's not an evil word. It's a very good word. And there's really, the church is really involved in three areas of discipline. First of all, in teaching. That when a lot, most of the pastor's preaching involves teaching. And ever, I think all good preaching involves teaching. And then you have Sunday school and different things that we do. And so teaching is going to be instructive. Uh, it's going to tell people what the Bible says, teaching them to observe all things, what I've commanded you. But also in the, in the church, there, there is corrective, there's corrective discipline. And 
you're going to find like, uh, like uh, when we're talking about corrective discipline, it's, it's going to be instruction. It's going to be uh, correcting, point, letting people see, letting them see what the Bible says about what they're doing, that it's an error. And we find uh, scripture along that line when uh, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And so sometimes, I mean, even if we break this down to our home, you know, you teach your children the proper way to make their bed, uh, you teach them how to tie their shoes, uh, you teach them how to wash the dishes if you do that, and uh, you should do that. And, and so it's part of part of growing up your children is just teaching them. You're teaching them to close the door, Keep teaching them don't put your hands on the stove. And, uh, and that's a part of church activity also. But sometimes, a corrective, you, you need to say when, when, uh, when your, one of your children go do something, you say, no, that's not the way to do that. Don't do it that way. It, it, is, it is corrective. And reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering doctrine, that's part of church activity. That, that we, surely all of us at some point have been challenged by uh, a mentor or by the pastor or by just the word of God that that's not the way to go and it's, and it's been uh, corrective. But also, and this is what people like to uh, fight against or but there's also in the New Testament church punitive discipline. And when, when you told your child, okay, uh, you teach them how to do it, and they don't do it the right way, and then you correct them and say, no, this is the way to do it, and then they, I'm going to do it how I want to anyway. The only way to deal with that is punitive discipline. And uh, there is a thing about, uh, in the Bible, about the fear of the Lord. That we need, and so sometimes discipline in the home, and particularly in the church, needs to involve punitive discipline. And Paul wrote of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, where he said, when he talked about the man who had been put out of the church, and we think it's related to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, but he said, Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. And so there needs to be to it. That's why it tells us to put them out of the church, that they may be ashamed. There, there's there's th those three aspects of discipline. And again, let's, let's keep it in mind. We're not being mean. We're not being stubborn. But we're, we're trying to disciple people because we want... We want to see their lives be productive. And uh, so church discipline, though that's been a very, uh, turned into be a very naughty word, a very terrible word. Churches don't like to talk about it. Many churches don't like to use it. Nevertheless, it's in the Bible, and, and it's a part of discipleship. It's a part of discipling people. Now, there's three areas, and I don't know how far we'll get today, but let's say, I don't know how, I was trying to figure out how to say this, but let's say there's three situations for discipline that, that are different. Not all 
church discipline should be handled the same. And in this passage that we read today, there's, there's, one, there's an area of church discipline that are personal problems. And that's covered in, in this passage. Now, I think that uh, we need to understand that uh, not all personal problems should be uh, a matter for the church to deal with. I come, I come on Wednesday, and I said, I need to address the church pastor. I want a T-bone and not pork chop. And Susie wouldn't listen to me. And we, there's a problem, and this needs to be dealt with. <laughs> well, that's stupid, isn't it? it, it you just don't, lay, just don't buy any more pork chops. But... <laughs> uh, but remember, Paul wrote, Paul in, in Philippians chapter 4, he said, he said, I beseech Eodius and Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And so it seemed like these two ladies were having a problem with each other. And he said, okay, I'm writing to you. And, and no doubt when they got called out, they had a little bit of egg on their face. But he said, I beseech you that you be of the same mind. They just, just, you know, stop it. But... But sometimes there's personal problems between members that's going to affect the, the tranquility within the church and, and, the, and the unity. And the unity. There's something that's happened that is, is pretty serious and two people are at each other and they don't seem to be able to get over it. And I think there's some very important truths in this passage. First of all, it tells us that if, 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 uh, if a brother has something against another, it says, Well, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone, and it shall be hear thee, and thou hast gained thy brother. The word it's using is trespass, and the word it uses is fault. And those, if not sinful behavior, they border on it. And it's something that's been done that's just uh, not like, you know, well, uh, you didn't buy a Ford, you've been buying, you've been buying Datsuns and, and everything made in foreign countries. And it's not something that, but it's something more than that. And it's like, you, you've wronged me that there's been a trespass, that there's been a fault. And, and the first thing First thing, the, the, the process in that is uh, there's just two, just two people involved, you and them. And so you go, you go, and you guys have heard all this before, but it's a need to reminder. But it says, Woe with thy brother shall trespass, and you go and tell him his fault between thee and him. Important word, alone. Even though it could be a very serious trespass, it only involves you too. Don't go running around at the whole church or the community and say, "Do you know what they did to me? Do you know what they did to me? Do you know what they did to me?" 
And man, why did they do that? Man, that's bad. And, and already you're sowing discord among the brethren. When actually you could go and say, go to that person and say, you know what you did? And he said, what? And you, and he, and you tell him, he said, oh, I didn't, I didn't mean it that way. I'm sorry, how can, you know, how, how can I make that up to you? And so uh, he makes it up and they uh, go out to eat together and they're happy and everybody's jolly and, and here this person you've told, they're, they're, they're mad at that person because what they did to you and, and then they see you walking down the street together and you say, what in the world's going on? Or, or you see that person walking down the street towards you and, and you should reach out and shake hands or say hello to you and you go, you know, well, it's an, it's an important issue. And then another very important thing in this is that, but if he will not hear thee, take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Now, it doesn't get real specific here, but I think common sense would say that uh, you don't take your two best buddies with you, but someone that would have common sense, someone that would have the ability to give wisdom, and so you take them with you, uh, two or three more, for what purpose? It says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established that, that, that someone seeing a different view, not being personally involved in it, can look at it maybe from a different angle, but that what you say and what they say you see, oftentimes the major thing is this, that you have wronged me, and I don't care what you say. And there's no communication. The communication breaks down. And so when the two or three go, say, no, no, you misunderstand. That's, I don't think that's what they're saying. You, you don't understand this. And so that every word may be established, and then it says here, and if he shall neglect to hear them. And I've told you many times before that this is in the past that I've been burnt severely in this area. I've, two or three people have come, but they said nothing. So two people, not alone, and then Two others, but they, they, uh, the the two or three that come must make a recommendation they may say Mr. Humphrey you know what you just, you just are misunderstanding this you are making a mountain out of a molehill, you need to stop it. Shake hands, forget those things which are behind, and press on. Leave it be. They have to say something. And if not, it just still leaves confusion. They're there to help. They're there to try to solve the issue. But they, if they say, Mr. Humphrey, you need to, you know, you're making a big thing out of this, you need to put it behind you, and I say, no. In fact, I'm going to file a report with the police. <laughs> you know, 
I'm going to go over there and get my key out, and I'm going to key his car. I am upset. Well, if they neglect to hear them, then you take it to the church. And the church hears it. And the church is not, because, because if left unchecked, it's going to affect the work of the church, it's going to affect the tranquility in the church, and it needs to be dealt with. Issues between individuals within the church are uh, damaging. And actually, people not even involved in it but know about it, they actually come to a point to say, I don't even care about going to church tonight. I don't even want to go there. I recently saw a, a video of a church I knew that was going through some problems and the people sitting in the choir and it, and it looked like it looked like they were at a funeral. There wasn't anything on their face that told, that said that that they were I was glad when they said unto me let us go into the house of the Lord. It was gone. And so personal problems need to be dealt with first alone. And I would say probably 95% of the problems could be solved in just going alone. And so that's the first area. The second area of church discipline, first one, public personal problems. And then the second area Is public sin. It's to be dealt with in a different way. And I think that we get, uh, churches get really uh, kind of upside down when they try to deal with issues in the same fashion. Look over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. First Corinthians chapter 5, it's reported commonly that there is fornication among you. And such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. You see, when it says we're reported commonly, it's public. People know about it. It's not just an incident between two, two uh, individuals and personal problems. It's reported commonly. And ye are puffed up, and not rather mourn that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. It seems, it seems when you read this passage that he's not, that he's not, uh, it's not his mother, it's his father's uh, wife, that we really don't know where his mother is, maybe she's died. And it seems, uh, if you read the whole thing too, it seems uh, pretty. It seems as though that his father's wife was not a Christian, because nothing is addressed to her. 
And you're puffed up and have not rather mourned that ye have done this deed might be taken away from among you. For verily, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that have done this deed. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you were gathered together in my spirit and with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. You see, this is punitive. That the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Not that this is going to bring salvation of the soul, but salvation of the life. Your glory is not good, know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? For it's out there for the old lump, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. There's lots of, there's lots of illustrations in this, but the bottom line is, just as you put yeast in dough, and it permeates throughout it, sin undealt with in the church is going to affect the church. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you an epistle not to accompany with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I've written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother. And so he's, he's saying we don't have the right to discipline the world, but we do have the responsibility, not just the right, but the responsibility to discipline those within the church. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one know not to eat, for what I have to do to you, to judge them also that are without, do not ye judge them that are within, but put them that are without, but them without God judges. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Uh, and so what you see here, when it's public sin, there is no one person going to one person and then getting two others and they go and talk to the, the two and then telling it to the church. But it says, when you meet together, put them out of the church. The next meeting of the church, once you know about this, the next meeting of the church, to put them out of the church. You can't be coming to the church and fellowshipping with the other believers. The church means an assembly. It's not like a Catholic discipline. But the assembly, the local church, you've got to put them out of the church. And so this, there is a way to deal with, uh, with public sin. And, and it's immediate. And, and the reason, the reason uh, it, gives, it gives very clear reasoning to that. And, the, and uh, one is because... Because of the leaven effect. That uh, <laughs> we can have people as members who are constantly uh, committing public sin or, or doing that which. Uh, 
has become common knowledge for some, some way. There need to be discipline. And so here's, a, here's, a, here's somebody that has committed, well, it, the topic here is fornication. Uh, they've been known to, to uh, live in fornication, not just one time, but numerous times. And they come before the church and they say, I'm sorry, please forgive us. And, and uh, actually, there's nothing in their life that's ever sown where they, he that confesseth his sin and forsaketh it shall find mercy. There's nothing in their life that ever sown that they've really forsaken it, but they've been caught in it. Then, then I, I guess uh, we need to look for real repentance. Because, because it's their attitude about this sin that's going to affect your children. And you know the situation that we're facing. And you know my personal you don't know, but you can surmise my personal anxiety. But it's pretty plain the last, the last phrase of this passage. Fornicating church members are wicked. That's not what I say. That's what the Bible says. They're wicked. And so, what are we trying to do here? It's a part of discipling. It's a part of raising Christians in a, in a, in a schoolhouse called the New Testament church. You can't do this. And if you continue to do this, you can't do this and be enrolled in our school. You can't do this and be enrolled in our church. It's wicked. And so, what are some public sins? Well, I don't know. If, I think I better kind of work through this a little quicker. But there's three categories of public sin. Uh, there's immorality. Uh, there's a disorderly walk. And there's heresy. And all of that must be dealt with, not in the fashion of personal problems. Heresy is not a personal problem. Disorderly walk that affects, it's not a personal problem. Immorality is not a personal problem. Those are public things that need to be dealt with in a much greater way. 
sexual sins. A brother who's involved in sexual sin is to be considered a wicked person. Covetousness, greediness, wanting material gain, no scruples about how they get it. An idolater. Can a person be involved as a Christian in idolatry? Well, if we give anything a higher place than the Lord, it's idolatry. This one commentary said, These, There are Christians who worship the mighty mammon more than the almighty God, and those who are idolatrous actions are outwardly manifested to be reproached of the Lord and his church should certainly be dealt with by the church. Pleasure is classified as idolatry in 1 Corinthians 10, 7, which may take many forms, as when Christians absent themselves from the Lord's house in order to visit relatives, play golf, go fishing, engage in sports activities, or even just watch television. This giving of personal pleasure, more place in affections than God has, cannot but incur God's displeasure. Uh, you see the list there on page 14 in the blue, a railer. Yet another form of immorality mentioned that is to be dealt with by the church is that of the railer or abusive or blasphemous person. Nothing hinders the testimony of the church like having a foul-mouthed person on the church roll. Amen. A drunkard. As you know, it's now popular to refer to drunkenness as a disease, yet it is not a disease. It's a choice of man's free will. Drunkenness, sexual sins, foul-mouthed speech is not a sickness it's a choice, and an extortioner. The second, uh, another aspect of public sins is the disorderly walk. It could mean uh, pastor's got a pretty good definition on this that he's given us. But anything which is disorderly in nature, which reflects back to unfavorable upon the Lord and upon His church, is to be dealt with by the church. Um, it was, okay, um, well, let's, let me, let me read that verse here. Uh, now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. I just wanted to make a comment, and you see that down at the, about the, a little bit below midsection. The tra tradition here does not mean, well, this is, we, it's a tradition that we take up the offering after the second song. It's a tradition that we hold, uh, we have a Christmas program every year. No, it, it, the word tradition uh, refers to apostolic teaching and that, that they have been taught to not walk, you know, fellowship with the brother that walketh disorderly. And then there's, uh, I don't think I got this numbering right. Maybe I did. Uh, but the third category is, is uh, I mean, the, what I got five is heresy. Now, I beseech you, brother, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. And so someone comes in here and starts saying you can lose your salvation. It's heresy. There's another gospel. If someone comes in here and says, you know, baptism is necessary to be saved, it's heresy. We're not going to let it happen for a moment. And sometimes you need to meet it at the door. I remember when our church was over there, 
and a Ruckmanite come in, you know, and uh, I was trying to figure him out, and if you just listen long enough, you, you can find, you, you figure out what they are, Ruckman, Ruckman believes that they're messed up on the inspiration of the Bible, believing that, that uh, the King James Version is more authoritative than the original manuscripts. And, uh, but more than that, Peter Ruckman uh, believed that you were saved one way in the Old Testament and another way in the New Testament. And the Old Testament included works. And Peter Ruckman believed that it's okay to be married and divorced and be married and divorced and be married and divorced. Well, <laughs> he, was, he was at the back door there and he's being friendly and talking and, you know, and dropping little hints to see where I was at. And, and finally I said, well, we don't believe people can be divorced and remarried time after time here. And uh, a bomb went off in the back of the auditorium. And I waved goodbye to him. So you, sometimes you need to stand up against heresy. And a church has to. Amen. It'll kill your church. Yes, I mean, we had a guy come in here that was very, I mean, I loved him. Uh, we had many conversations after I preached that he was into the word and he knew the word. But one day, uh, right over there about where Seth's at, we had a young college student that was, he was talking to, and he is filling him full of Calvinism. And some of you remember that we all got together, wrote this letter and signed it. Next time he came to church, we met him at the back door and said, you know, we don't want you here. We don't believe your Calvinism. May, may the Lord bless you. We believe you're saved. We believe you, there's some tenderness about you, but you're not, you're not coming into our church and spreading your Calvinism. And uh, it wasn't like he was trying to be vindictive, but he was poisoned. And you can even get poisoned with a strawberry flavor. Understand what I'm saying? Okay, so heresy needs to be dealt with. And so let me summarize down at the bottom. We first said sin is a very serious thing in our lives and in the life of a church. Do not err, my beloved brethren, as to the seriousness of sin. Sin ought to make us angry. Secondly, we have said that God absolutely has given to the church body the responsibility of dealing with sin in the church. And uh, we talked about teaching, corrective discipline, and punitive discipline. Thirdly, we have said that how we deal with people is dictated by three different situations. Personal problems between members that have potential to hurt the testimony and the tranquility of the church, public sin, immorality, and disorderly walking heresy. Now the third situation is, uh, is uh, I've put here, the third situation I want to talk to you about is the man who professes Christ is baptized into our church and shortly leaves never to return. And this typified there in the parable of the sower where it says in Matthew 13, 5, some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. 
And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. And so there's happiness. And yet he not, and yet he, uh, and yet hath he not root in himself, but, in, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the world, by and by he is offended. What it's talking about is where the, where the ground was shallow, and there was bedrock underneath it, or sandstone, or whatever, that it heated faster. And there was some good soil on top, and when it heated faster, that's like here in uh, spring, I don't know if you ever noticed, where if you travel down uh, any road, but particularly Plaque Road, and where the pipeline goes underneath Plaque Road, that's where the dandelions always spring up first. But they don't survive there very good. When it's short, when it, the, the ground gets warm, the crops, he says, the crop springs up, and with joy they seem to receive it. Oh, yeah, you know, I believe this, I'm a Christian. But when the real rubber meets the road, and discipling begins to take place by the Holy Spirit, and, and, uh, and a certain walk is anticipated, then uh, they get offended. Well, what's the problem? They never have been saved. And in 1 John 2, 19, it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they're not all of us. And so when a person is really born again, they ought to exhibit being a new creature. They ought to have fellowship with the Father. There ought to be a sensitivity to sin. There ought to be spiritual growth. And so here comes a person. You know, years ago, some of you remember this. We, we taught what was called basic Bible truths, and we had people going into homes, and they were teaching basic Bible truths lessons, trying to bring a person to a point of conversion. The problem with basic Bible truth lesson, it was always building up to where you got to the sixth lesson, and at the sixth lesson, it's anticipated that a person would profess Christ. And he'd already built the groundwork. And we had a guy, Jeremy Millington, uh, two or three people that uh, the, the teacher said, you know, they've been saved, uh, they need to be baptized now. And so they got up and made, you know, yeah, I got saved. But, but what happened is after being with them for five or six weeks and knowing that, you know, there's a point where you're going to have to make a decision, then they made a decision because oh, this guy's already been here for five weeks. I mean, we're, we're shooting towards something. And what they, what they were getting was a merely a profession. And so I'd baptize them. Within a month later, you never see him again. And so what should we do about that? You know, not forsaking some of yourselves together. Something has to mean, well, you know, write them a letter and say, listen, you know, you've not been in church. You know, you're back to doing your own thing, old stuff again. We're going to exclude you from the church. We go and talk to them. Well, you know what? They're just going to say, 
I don't want to talk to you. Get out of here. And so sometimes church, church discipline in that, in that aspect doesn't accomplish anything. The natural man receives not the things of God for their spirit to discern. But they do need to be removed from the church role. They do need to be removed from any identification with the church because, you know, someone would come to me and say, hey, I thought uh, Jeremy Milliken went to your church. I said, uh, yeah, why? Well, boy, he was sure cutting it, cutting it up over there at, uh, at the bar the other night. He had to get a designated driver to haul him out of there, and, they, and he didn't walk out. They had to pack him out. He was so drunk. Well, he needed to be removed. I know a church that supports Noah George from Texas and a pretty solid church. And when I was going to Bible school way long ago, you know, uh, they have, you used to have a, you know, the Sunday paper had a little section inside of it. Uh, called parade or different things. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not. But, but it, Willie Nelson's Willie Nelson's face was on that little publication, and inside, they were interviewing him, and he talked about how he used to go and was a member at Metropolitan Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas. And one of the teachers at our church, that it was a music man, music teacher, he was it. He was a song leader at Metropolitan Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas. And so all of our preacher boys <laughs> were waiting for him to come to school that day. He should have been removed from the role. Understand what I'm saying? If someone would go and talk to Willie Nelson about the need to be saved, he's not going to give you five seconds of his time. But he doesn't to be identified with one of the Lord's churches. And so personal problems, public sin, immediately, quickly, that, that they might be ashamed, that it won't be, it won't be leaven. And then the last thing, some people just need to be removed. Not everybody that says they're saved is saved. That's just a reality. In fact, the, the parable, you know, the, the parable of the sword there in, in Matthew 13, actually is probably one of the very best portions of Scripture concerning evangelism that you have in the Bible. <clears throat> Only one out of four soil types was genuinely saved. And when you get preachers saying, you know, we had a service this tonight and 50% of the lost people that came were saved. But for some reason they didn't come back on Wednesday night and they didn't come back on Sunday night because they never were saved. And so let the Lord do his work and try to keep our church roles as pure as we can. And if there's been a mistake made, in judgment, we'll just reinstate them.
but more important than a person's pride, the person's self-esteem, the person maintaining face, is the Lord is wanting to present to himself a bride that's pure. And we must, we must do what is required of us to do. Okay, nice, friendly, inspiring, uh, <laughs> uh, happy lesson. Mm. No, it's, it's, uh, it's important. And it's, it's part of discipling. It's part of discipling. Okay, you're dismissed. Don't, don't hang me afterwards.